is wonderful. I come from a long line of great mothers. First of all, I am married to the greatest mother, and so I know some of you got cards today to that effect, but my children actually gave the card to the greatest mom ever, and so I'm thrilled that I happened to marry her. But even going further back, uh, my dad's grandmother, my grandfather's mother, was the great spiritual influence in my dad's life. I think the truth is that it has a lot to do with the fact that I'm here today. Um, he's a great churchman and a great father, and then his mother, my grandmother, who I called Mamaw, she had 11 children, and she raised, uh, one of them died young, so she raised 10, and the sweetest mom, the sweetest grandmother you can imagine, and then of course my own mom was the best mom ever. Don't ask me how that works, but she was the best mom ever. She taught me all kinds of things, good lessons, especially about how to recognize good food. So I inherited my taste buds from my mother. She uh, is known to travel within her purse. She has a fork that extends so she can try anybody's food at the table that she wants to taste. It's just part of dining with my mom. And uh, once upon a time, some friends of theirs brought over a cake and left it for my mom as a gift right on the front porch. She took it inside and she opened it and it was this delicious looking coconut cake which happens to be one of our family's favorites and she looked at it most people thought I cannot wait to have a slice of that but my mother thought ain't nobody got time for that and she just right out of that beautiful coconut cake and I can relate why would you wait when something looks that good so much of who I am is because of my mom she's a wonderful mother and she has become the best Mimi ever now that I have my own kids. But because it's Mother's Day, we're going to look at one of the Bible's, uh, one of the great biblical matriarchs who's described in the Old Testament. And her name is only mentioned twice in Scripture, in the book of Exodus and the book of Numbers, but the story is told in several places, or at least she's referred to anonymously. And she has a famous story, so famous, I asked my six-year-old daughter Amelia last night if she knew the story about this woman of what she did when she had a child and Amelia knew the story and uh, she must have great Sunday school teachers but the woman's name we learn in Exodus 6 is Jochebed and we're going to read her story really from Exodus 2 so I don't want to confuse you but we're going to be in Exodus 2 this morning Jochebed or Jochebed she's a daughter of Levi uh, so of one of the sons of Israel or Jacob and so her grandfather was Jacob, her uncle was Joseph, the one with that multicolored coat. She's married to a man named Amram, and they have three children that we know of by name. There may have been other children, but we're told about three of them. Uh, the oldest, more than likely, is the daughter, who we know of, of as Miriam. She had a son who was named Aaron, who was about three years old in the story that we're going to look at this morning in Exodus 2. And the third child we know of was born at one of the most tumultuous times for Hebrew children. And the circumstances surrounding his birth forced Jochebed to really fight to protect the life of her son Moses. So join with me in reading from Exodus 2, and I'm going to just read the first four verses right now. Verses 1 through 4. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it with tar and pitch. 
Then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. So Jochebed acts in faith to protect her son. And the rest of the passage will demonstrate how God delivers Moses from danger. And ultimately, God uses Moses to deliver the Hebrew children out of slavery in Egypt. And so what I want us to consider this morning is parenting is really an act of trust. Mothers are entrusted with a temporary responsibility to care for children. And that's true for fathers as well. Because children ultimately belong to the Lord. So Christian parenting requires trust. We cannot control, so we trust. And today we're going to look at the example of Jochebed who trusted God through the challenges of motherhood. And we see uh, the example of the parental challenges she faced beginning in these first four verses. The first five books of the Bible are known as the Pentateuch. And these are the books of the Bible that Moses wrote. He wrote these five books. Genesis goes to X. It looks like they go together. It just reads like one long story. And so you can see how they connect. Well, 15 times in the book of Genesis, Moses describes several important births, or 15 important births. And he uses the phrase we find in verse 2 of Exodus 2, the woman conceived and bore a son. He says this over and over again until the 16th time here in Exodus 2, and it's the last time he uses the phrase. And he tells us that a man who's from the tribe of Levi marries a woman from the tribe of Levi. And they have a child, and this means Moses is undeniably a, uh, a member of the Le Levitical or the tribe of Levi, which becomes the clergy clan of Israel. And these two people are Amram and Jochebed. They're not named here, they're named later. And we know they already have these two children. And verse 2 is describing the birth of the third child, Moses. And the thing that grabs our attention is that the mother hides her son. Now, she does not hide him because he's ugly. That's what the verse says. The verse says she sees he's beautiful, so she hides him. So that's what she does. Well, what mother doesn't look at their baby and think, how beautiful is this baby? And they, look, they always think that. That's why we celebrate mothers to such a great degree. Because fathers look at babies sometimes and they're like, eh, why does he look like such an old man? You know, it's, but mothers, no, always beautiful. So she looks at her baby. He's so beautiful. And so she hides him. Well, why is that? Why does uh, she hide her son? Well, most of you know the story. But just to fill in the gaps, Exodus 1 tells us of the dramatic turn of events in Egypt. Remember the descendants of Jacob, his sons and their children, um, they uh, moved to Egypt because of this great famine. Uh, Israel, Jacob's son, Joseph, has risen to power. And so he invites, long story, but he invites the family. They all come, they move into Egypt. That's where they stay. They survive the famine. In fact, they start to thrive and they increase in number rapidly. And then we read in Exodus 1, verse 8. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. So this new Pharaoh ascends to the throne. He was likely an Egyptian and probably didn't trust outsiders. There's a reason for that. But he doesn't trust outsiders. This would include Joseph's family. They're not Egyptian. They're Hebrews. So he doesn't trust them. So the Egyptians began to deal shrewdly with the Israelites. 
And they start to enslave the, uh, the Israelites. They force them to labor as slaves. They build cities. They treat them very harshly. But even though they're treated harshly, God blesses them and they continue to thrive and to grow in numbers. So now Pharaoh is compelled to institute population control over the Hebrews living in his land. And so he goes to two uh, Hebrew midwives and he says, whenever the Hebrew women have a son, you are to kill the sons, but you can let the baby girls live. Well, these midwives fear God, and so they come up with, there's no way we're going to do that. And they come up with a reason to why they couldn't do that. So now Pharaoh goes to even more serious lengths. And we read in Exodus 1.22, Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you are to cast into the Nile, and every daughter you are to keep alive. So Jochebed has a son. She sees how beautiful he is. And she devises this plan to hide him. Well, for the first three months of his life, evidently that was more manageable for her to do. Uh, maybe because he's smaller, maybe because he sleeps a whole lot more, maybe uh, uh, because she could soothe his cries a whole lot easier. But then three months, and it's getting harder to do that. So she has to come up with something more drastic to do to hide him. So the Hebrew words, the Hebrew translation, I guess, from Exodus 2, uh, says that uh, she was going to hide him. She could hide him no longer, so she gets a wicker basket. The Hebrew word is tabah. She gets a Hebrew, she gets this wicker tabah to put him in. This same word is used 26 times in the Bible, or 26 other times. And every single time it's in the book of Genesis. And we recognize this word as ark because Noah's ark is the same thing, tabah, just different in size. They actually have the same purpose. Is this, uh, this ark... And this basket is supposed to be a waterproof vessel that can float and protect what's inside from drowning. So Noah has an ark. And y'all hear those jokes about Moses' ark? Well, Moses had an ark too. It was just a basket. Well, I cannot imagine the desperation that Jochebed would have felt to do this to her precious, beautiful son. I don't know about you, but I uh, have the visual aid in my mind of those great epic movies about Moses, the Ten Commandments that I watched growing up, or the Prince of Egypt, that great animated movie about Moses. And uh, I, I think about that basket flowing down the Nile River, the way that it does in those movies. But you know what? I think that the movies probably got it wrong here. But we've been inspired. That's how we imagine it happened. Now, we don't really know exactly what's impl implied in verses 3 through 5. But I know mothers, and I'm wondering, could that mother have pushed that basket out from shore? I wonder if the mother was just simply trying to find a hiding place for Moses. So she creates the basket, and she puts the baby in, she covers it, and hides it in the reeds. And that way I can go to get him when I need to. If I have him and the Egyptians are coming, I can hide him there. And so perhaps that's more of what she's doing rather than pushing that basket down the river. So she was just possibly keeping him out of sight. And when she had to walk away, she said to her daughter, you watch. Watch and make sure nothing gets him. And I think that's what's happening here in this passage. Either way, the call to parenthood demands trust in God. Your circumstances may not be the same as Jacob, but either way, we still must trust God with our children. Both mothers and fathers must learn to trust God. God as parents. Hebrews 11.23 indicates that Amram was also involved in this. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents 
because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So Moses, who pins Exodus, really focuses on his mom, but his dad was doing the same thing. They trusted God, they feared God, and they said, you know what? We're going to do the best we can to care for this child. But we know this child belongs to God. Moses focuses on his mother. He blesses his mother. It's a great thing to do. It doesn't downplay the actions of his father, but it really highlights what his mother did. And here in this passage, we see the reality that so many women and so many families in our time know, which is motherhood is not always as wonderful or as perfect as we imagine it to be or speak of it to be on a day like today. I'm sure that there are many people who are here who have tasted of miscarriage as a mother, and that's it. So this day really just brings tears to eyes rather than celebration. Some gave up children to adoption because of the circumstances of your life, placed you in a corner, and that's desperately what you could do. And so you did that. And maybe today's a bit hard for you. I'm sure that others even resorted to other links, more significant links, because you felt so desperate. And today there's the possibility of a deeper pain. Some mothers here lost children as infants, maybe in childbirth. Maybe the child had a disease or something tragic happened, they died. Or maybe your children as an adult died. And today's a very difficult day for you. Some of you have strained relationships with your children. And so it's hard to celebrate on Mother's Day. It just more brings tears. Some of you are single, wish you were married with kids. So this day's hard. Some of you are barren. Some of you are struggling to conceive. And here we are on Mother's Day, and you're trying your best to be comforted. Some of you are mourning because your mom's not here. Or maybe because the memories aren't as happy as you wish they were. This is the point. Motherhood does not always go as expected or as one would hope. Just as Jochebed faced massive complications in the birth of her child. The reality of many of you this morning is pain and grief for Mother's Day. Or maybe fears for the future. What's going to happen next? So to those of you who are hurting today, or for those of you who have pain today, I want to assure you that God sees you. I know some of you are doing it silently, but I can assure you God sees you in your grief. He knows your tears. He's heard your prayers. He's there to comfort you. I believe he has comfort specific for your situation. I believe there's a bomb for this pain that you're experiencing. He notices your tears, and I want to commend to you the words of David from Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So when you are in deep pain, there is a God who loves you desperately, doesn't send you on your own, but walks with you to comfort you. And I hope that you experience that this morning. Can you imagine the faith that Jochebed must have wielded in the face of Pharaoh's decree? Her baby's brought into the world. He's beautiful. What am I going to do? I imagine the fears were just unbearable. I imagine that would lead to panic and to lots of tears. I think some wonder today whether now is the right time to bring a child into the world just as maybe the Hebrew women were thinking back then. I mean, you look at the political divisiveness, you look at the turmoil in our world, you look at just the, uh, the, the way that culture is spinning out of control. Many would argue now is not the time to bring a child 
into the world. And maybe that's the fear that's in your mind as a mother, as a grandparent, or whatever it might be. But as children of the King, we place our hope and our trust in Him and not in anything else. The front page of the paper should not dictate what God has called us to. It may look as if the world is out of control. It may seem that the pressures all around us are pointing us in a different direction. But God is at the helm. He is sovereign over the circumstances of our world. You can trust him. He has not relinquished control. In fact, he sees the details of your life and the details of the lives around you. Specifically, we must trust God through the problems that we face in motherhood or in parenthood. So Jochebed was forced to trust God because the outlook for her son was very bleak. And we see next that as Jochebed released her son into the world, she learned to trust God for her son, to care for her son. So Jochebed put her son in a basket. She covers it. She puts it among the reeds in the Nile River. And ultimately, it seems as if she's obeying Pharaoh. Isn't that what Pharaoh commanded? Toss your sons into the Nile River. And it looks like that's what she's doing. Warren Wearsby, who is one of the great preachers and great commentators of our uh, age, just died just about 10 days ago, at the age of 89. And this is what he says. He says, Jochebed obeyed the letter of the law when she put Moses in the waters of the Nile. But certainly she was defying Pharaoh's orders in the way she did it. She was trusting the providence of God, and God didn't fail her. So let me share with you verses 5 through 9. It says, The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens walking alongside the Nile. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid, and she brought it to her. When she opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the boy was crying. And she had pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrew children. Then his sisters said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. We have to see in this passage that God is sovereignly superintending over the affairs of men. He's not caught off guard by this new Pharaoh who doesn't know jo Joseph. He's not wringing his hands now that he's decreed all the Hebrew boys are to be tossed in the river. He's not saying, what am I going to do now? That's not how God works. It was by his design that Pharaoh's daughter walks down by the Nile River, goes down to ritually bathe. Maybe she hears the cry and she says, what's that? And she sees the basket that the other people didn't see. She says, get that basket, what is it? They open up the basket and there inside, of course, is this boy who's crying. God put her there at that specific moment in that specific time. And this daughter of Pharaoh is not cold-hearted like her dad. The scripture says she saw the boy crying, had pity on him, even though she knew it was a Hebrew. Well, I think it would make sense to insert a comment about the sanctity of human life at this point. Clearly, Pharaoh did not see how every life had value. But his daughter evidently had a motherly instinct or a heart that kind of broke for this child. She could have seen him as just one of those. Can't do anything about that. She could have felt no emotion, but she drew him out of the water. <clears throat> every child has value. Every life has meaning. 
That should be a value of the highest order in our land. Every child has value. Every life has meaning. We see here there's another hero, another female hero in this story. The boy's sister. More than likely, this is Miriam. Can you imagine the control she had to muster when she saw what was happening? You know, they found him. What am I going to do now? Maybe she overhears the conversation. The baby's crying. Maybe he's hungry. What should we do? And just quick thinking. Hey, you want me to go get somebody who can take care of that? An incredible thing. Pharaoh's daughter hires Jochebed to nurse the baby. Pays her wages, which probably lasted till Moses was about three or four years old when he would have been weaned. Jochebed could not fully protect this child, but guess what? God can. We're unable to offer perfect care for our children. We'd like to. We'd like to protect them from all the dangers of this world. But only God can do that. God, uh, children truly belong to the Lord. So as mothers or parents, we're only stewards of our children. Christian parenting is about partnering with God. It's about partnering with God to raise our children to love the Lord. To honor God with their lives, to trust God, to care for them. If we can't trust God to care for them, we become control freaks. And that's a problem. So we must realize that our children belong to God and we must realize or release them into his care. But how can moms and dads, for that matter, how can moms and dads be good spiritual stewards in the lives of your children? I'm primarily speaking to you now of those of you that have children in the home. But the truth is, you all have influence over young people that you can spiritually influence. It may be grandchildren, it may be neighbors, it may be people here at the church. So I'm going to give you some thoughts that I've I've pulled together of how can we put into practice this idea of influencing someone for the Lord. Ask yourself, what one step can I take to help my kid or these kids know God? Of course, starting with being at church is a good step, but what else? Can I suggest to you That you might pray with your children once a week at a time other than mealtime. Hopefully you have habits there. But just once a week, how can you spend time where you're going to pray with your child so they can hear what's on your heart and how you communicate it to God. So you can pray about what matters to them so that they know when I've got a need, I go to the Lord. Another idea is maybe to go on a mission trip with them. Or maybe find a way to serve with them. I know our Feed the Hungry, we always see families that are out there, parents and kids. Have at least one intentional conversation a week that's faith-related. You talk about all kinds of other things, but why not about the Lord? That that becomes the subject matter. It could be in the car. It could be as you sit around the dinner table. You could do this with your grandchildren. You could do this with your adult children. Just once a week, a conversation that centers on faith. Talk about your doubts. Talk about what you learn. Be intentional about your spiritual growth. Let them see how you are learning, you're growing, you're giving, you're sharing. We must trust God to be the primary giver, a caregiver for our children that he's entrusted to us. So parenthood or motherhood, done well, means we trust God when we face parenting problems. That we trust God to care for our children. And finally, we trust God as our children grow. So Jochebed nursed her son probably three to four years. And then in verse 10 of Exodus uh, 2, we read, the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses and said, because I drew him out of the water. So Pharaoh's daughter adopts Moses into her household, the son of Jochebed into her household. 
Now, we may overemphasize the influence that Moses had in Pharaoh's kingdom, but we know he was a part of the royal family. She brings him into the household. She adopts him. She gives him a name. It's an Egyptian name, Moses, but it really plays to those Egyptian roots, I mean those Hebrew roots. He was drawn out of the water. Once again, Jochebed is given an unbearable challenge. I know we like to say that God will never give you anything you can't bear on your own. But the truth is, I'm sure that some of you have had to bear some things that are too much for you. That's what God's there for. To be able to support you, to guide you, to comfort you in those moments. I imagine that's what he did right here. When Jochebed took her child, placed it in the hands of the enemy. Now I'm sure it was an act of desperation, probably an act of love. Because she thought, maybe he'll be safe here. As children grow, the role of a mother changes. But the same thing is expected. We trust God as they grow. We live in an era of what they call helicopter parenting. And now they've got a new term. They call it snowplow parenting. Have you heard this? We trust no one or no thing with our children. It's just us. i got to make sure everything goes well. Parents hover over their children, invested in their lives, even into adulthood. They're overprotected. They're overinvested in their lives, even when they become adults. It's a time when snowplow parenting constantly forces obstacles out of their kids' way so they never experience any pain, any grief. Try to set them up for success in the best way they know possible. In fact, nowadays, parents pay money, forge documents, fake pictures so their kids can get into the college they want them to be in. Snowplow parenting. Now, don't get me wrong. We all want our children to be successful, right? We all want to insulate them from the pain of this world. But we're prone to carry it too far. And then it's carried into adulthood, and they never grow up. Jim Burns is a Christian family expert. He writes a blog with Homeward, and he wrote about a friend of his who is a college president. He writes that the college president told him about a conversation he had with a parent who called him to complain that her son had gotten a D on a paper in a business class. She wanted to have the grade changed. My friend later, he writes, followed up with the professor who'd given the grade. The professor remembered the paper and said, actually, it was closer to an F than a D. So the college president calls the mother back, reports what the professor said, and she becomes angry. And she says, I totally disagree. I have an MBA from Stanford University, and I wrote that paper for my son. True story. She missed the point. She also misses the irony of the whole thing. Well, does God have a clear idea about how we should parent? Is it wrong to help our children be successful, and how much help is too much? Let me give you just three biblical truths that I think could give guide for mothers, parents, grandparents, adults of all ages, and backgrounds who have concern for children. First of all is this, worry less, pray more. Whenever we think about the future with our kids, our first emotion is to worry. The scriptures say we should Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Worry less, pray more. Second, don't dominate. Instead, give something, kids something they can imitate. Don't dominate. Give kids something they can imitate. The great English preacher Charles Spurgeon is quoted as saying, train up a child in the way he should go, but be sure you go that way yourself. We have to see ourselves as models for our children, not saying, go do that. We lead them. Peter has a good word on this, 1 Peter 5, 3, not lording it over those entrusted to you, 
but being examples. That's what parenthood should be. Be examples. Finally, you will never be a perfect mother or perfect parent, but you do have a perfect father. I think we all have a lot of parental experience. There's a lot of parental experience in this room, but no experts. One expert, and it's God. We go to all kinds of other resources when it comes to parenting. But we're told in James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So you seek the wisdom that you need for parenting from God. Don't simply trust the world. You trust God, and try not to do it on your own. So today's Mother's Day. I believe children owe it to their mothers to honor their mothers with a word of blessing. Moses does that in Exodus 2. He remembers the actions of his mother. But here's the point. Parenting in today's world demands that Christians trust God. Trust God with parenting problems. Trust God to care for your children. Trust God as your children grow up. So Exodus 2 honors Jochebed. But the focus of the story is really about the baby in the basket, right? The one who was helpless, who was crying. Warren Wearsby wrote, The phrase, as weak as a baby, doesn't apply in the kingdom of God. For when the Lord wants to accomplish a mighty work, he often starts by sending a baby. This was true when he sent Isaac, Joseph, Samuel, John the Baptist, and especially Jesus. God can use the weakest things to defeat the mightiest enemies. A baby's tears were God's first weapons in his war against Egypt. This is a trend in the scriptures. God sends his son Jesus in the form as a baby, weak but had all the power to salvation in him. So just as Jochebed trusted God to deliver Moses from the hands of Pharaoh, we trust God to deliver us from the curse of sin. The God who loves you wants to deliver you from sin, so he provides an ark, a basket. It's Jesus. His death on the cross breaks the curse of sin in your life. He extends to you the opportunity of forgiveness and eternal life with him. It's just believing and receiving. Beloved, will you receive Jesus today? Our Father and God, we thank you so much for the example of this woman of faith who trusted you. Now let it be said of every person in here, no matter what their role is in life, that they might trust you. And we know the most critical place where we must trust you is with our eternity. So God, for those that are here that need to make a decision of faith, I pray God that you would help them to do that. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Come to a time of invitation of God speaking to your heart. Maybe it's about placing your faith in him, responding to the gospel. Maybe it's about joining the church here. Perhaps it's with a prayer need, whatever it might be. We're going to have an invitation, and you just come forward. We'd love to pray with you, send you back with somebody who can encourage you, show you from God's word how you can be a child of God today. So I'm going to invite you to stand. As you stand, our choir sings, you respond.